Good morning. I saw the picture. I didn't realize George Costanza was going to be preaching today. (laughs) So let's open up in prayer before we start here. Father, we thank you again for this time that we get to spend together in worship. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless our time as we continue to study your word. Lord, please help us to apply this um, to our hearts for your glory. Amen. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 21 today. While you're turning there, how many people tricked somebody for April Fool's Day yesterday, by any chance? Or as some of us like to refer to it, National Atheist Day. Anybody? No? No? Okay. For those of you that didn't get the joke, the Bible declares, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. So, National Atheist Day. I'm happy to inform you, though, that the dictionaries, they haven't succumbed to the politically correct movement. They actually define the word fool as one who is destitute of reason or the common powers of understanding, semicolon, an idiot. Uh, Contrary to what the world would have you think, the people that believe in Jesus the way he is described in the Bible, they are not the fools. And that is also true about the people we're going to be reading about today. These people, they believed Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah that was foretold in the Bible. And although they, they may not have always understood uh, what was going on, they still had complete trust in him. And when we consider that these disciples, they left everything behind in order to, to follow him, we can also surmise that they were also quite courageous. Because when we read about the life and the ministry of Jesus, we find out how the religious establishment wanted to kill him. And we have to consider that the reality is these disciples, they would have realized that their lives were probably also in danger as well. And yet they continued to follow him. And by simply uh, being a witness of Jesus and attesting to his, his mighty works, they were targeted as a group. So now let's think about this. For over three years, these men have been following Jesus and learning at his feet. Their faith and their knowledge had grown, but their knowledge was still lacking some understanding. Like most people, they had this presupposition. They thought the Messiah that was to come, that he, would, he was supposed to set everything right. They thought that he would rule over the nations and that peace would permeate the entire world. But instead, he was crucified to a wooden cross. So, you can imagine what they're going through. Things didn't really go out as as they planned. They would have had gone through fear and uh, shock and devastation over the crucifixion. They would have, uh, adding to that, confusion, uh, apprehension uh, at the tomb. Then you combine that with with doubt and all these other feelings they're going through. So these once courageous disciples were now broken. Their courage had failed them. Verse 1, 
After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. When we read Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus told them that he would meet them in Galilee. Which brings us to what we just read here. Now remember, over three years, these men gave up everything in order to follow Jesus. This tight-knit group was then betrayed by Judas, who was one of their most trusted people. See, we have this understanding that Judas was the guy that really stuck out like a sore thumb. But see, when Jesus said one of them would betray him, they didn't all just think, oh, it's obviously old shifty eyes over there. Just look how sinister he looks. No, they actually questioned their own hearts before they even questioned Judas. They were in disbelief because the most trusted man is the one that carries the money bag. He's the one that always spoke about taking care of the poor. And I mean, if I can't trust Judas, who can I trust? And now this group was without its leader. Everything was out of sorts. It felt like everything was imploding. What are we to do now? Jesus had told them, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And now Jesus wasn't even there. And sometimes, when you're not sure what to do, you do what just comes naturally. So these men, they board a ship and they went fishing. But ultimately, the thing that steered them towards that boat, it wasn't Judas' betrayal. And it wasn't the fact that they lost their leader. It was Peter. Peter was like the rudder in the ship. And for some reason... The direction he went into, the others went in that same direction. And herein lies the problem. See, Peter was burnt out. He was discouraged. I mean, he could make heads or tails of the situation. And if he didn't go back to what Christ had already called them to do, now he could potentially lead all these men in the wrong direction. Now remember, these men were seasoned fishermen. They weren't just you know, doing this out of a hobby. They were seasoned fishermen. They knew very well what they were doing. So it would be highly unlikely that they would go all night and end up empty-handed. Think about it. Not even a single fish. That definitely could not have been good for the ego. You know, they failed at the last remaining thing that they should have been really good at. I mean, these guys were professionals. These men were now at the end of themselves. They had nothing left. I mean, they couldn't even feed themselves. And to top it off, they're surrounded by darkness. This is the middle of the night. 
I know it's leaning a little heavily on the discouraging side, isn't it? <laughs> Thankfully, though, the story doesn't end there. Verse 4. But when the morning was now come, isn't that good? Jesus stood on the shore. <clears throat> but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple that Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon and Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat onto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. And the disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as that were two hundred cubits, dragging the net of fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and laid thereon, and fish laid thereon, and bread. So they went from this state of despair to utter jubilation. And it all started when they obeyed the command of Jesus. See, he said, children, cast your net on the other side. You know, and instead of complaining about how he didn't address them as men, or putting him in his place because, hey, we're the professionals... These broken men, they took their net and they cast it as per his instruction. You know, sometimes we need to be completely broken before we're willing to even listen to the most basic instructions. And so now because of their obedience, Jesus, he actually filled the net. In fact, if so full, the crew couldn't even pull it in. At which point John remembers, hey, when we first met Jesus three years ago, he did that exact same way. And you can imagine the excitement, obviously. And you know, different things can trigger memories. I know that for myself when I'm driving in the summertime and I smell a skunk, most people are like, ugh, skunk. To me, it just brings a smile on my face because it reminds me of when I'm a kid doing road trips with my family. So certain things will trigger memories. So it's no coincidence that the creator of heaven and earth, he recreated this miracle of when they first met him. The nets were filled with fish, and now the disciples were filled with joy. So much joy that Peter couldn't wait for that ship to get going. He just decided to pull a Michael Phelps and he did like the 100 meters in record time. So once they arrived at the shore, they saw that Jesus had already prepared a fire. He had uh, been preparing this. Now the, the group was together and they were warming up. And you can imagine these, these hot glowing coals and the fire generating all this heat, which... Peter would have enjoyed because he was soaked to the bone. And you know, getting discouraged is kind of like that coal that's lost a flame. 
You know, it's once this once hot coal that kind of tumbles out of the fire and it's by itself. The flame disappears, the heat's gone, and eventually you're just left with this burnt piece of wood. But if you were to take that same piece of wood and put it back on the fire, it would light up in no time. That coal by itself, you can't do anything with it. You can't warm up. You can't even cook anything. Do you know that you can't even provide a uh, fragrant offering if you're burnt out? In the book of Leviticus, God lays out the pattern for the Old Testament priests to make an offering of incense. He said, Take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar of the Lord. See, they couldn't just take incense as is and just throw it up in the air. It had to be a burnt offering. But they couldn't just take any coal either. It had to be coal from the altar of the Lord. These disciples could not do kingdom work under their own power, and neither can we. But now they were rekindling their flame by spending some time with Jesus. Which is exactly what we are prescribed to do. Look at verse 10. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon and Peter went up and drew the net to land full of fish. And hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then come, cometh and take, take Jesus cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So earlier the entire group, I mean they couldn't even haul in this load of fish, but now Peter listens to Jesus and is, he pulls it in by himself. It's almost like he's re-energized. But besides that, I think it's pretty amazing that the creator of the universe is having breakfast with them. That's amazing. I mean, how many here would love to do that? You know? Just let me clarify. If you're thinking, I'd love the bread, not so sure about fish for breakfast, I think you've missed the point and we could talk after. Okay? <laughs> Let's look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. You know, I'm looking outside and spring has finally sprung. I don't know about you, but I'm loving this weather. Um, and I know that once the salt is washed off the roads, the bike comes out, so I'm loving that too. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that I love. I love sunshine, I love my family, I love my wife, I love cake. Uh, and just, if, <laughs> just If I didn't mention you by name, just know that I love you, okay? Carrie? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's obvious, I, th- I would hope, it's obvious to everybody here that there's a difference between the love I have for my wife and the love that I have for a piece of cake. They're not even close to the same. The way I love my wife and the way I love my friends is more similar, but it's still not the same. The way we behave around people has a lot to say about how we feel about them too. 
But we have to back up for a minute. In Matthew 26, starting in 31, Jesus tells his disciples, Tonight, all of you will desert me. For the Scriptures say, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter replied, Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples said the same. Peter is saying to Jesus, you know, sure these guys love you, but I really love you. And when Jesus said that he, they would deny him, Peter, he emphatically stated, I would never do that. Which ultimately means, uh, Jesus, I'm right and you're wrong. In fact, I love you so much that I'm willing to prove it to you. I'd go to battle for you. I'd even die by your side. And that's how we like to show our love to others. Eh? It's like the more I'm willing to do, the more I love you. You know, you bring your wife a wedding ring and some flowers because you love her. You buy your friends lunch because you love them. A cat brings you a dead bird because it loves you. And Peter wanted to demonstrate his love with a physical action. But when the time came, he did exactly what Jesus said. He denied ever knowing him, not once, but three times. Now, keeping that in mind, let's go back to verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. So when Jesus is speaking with Peter here, he's bringing him back to that conversation. Simon, do you love me so much more than they do? And Peter answering, knowing full well they had fallen short of his earlier profession, this time he sheepishly says, yes, Lord, I love you. This wasn't the, I love you so much that I would die for you kind of statement. This was more like, I feel like such a heel for boasting, but I love you as much as they do. Not quite the extent that he had insinuated earlier. Jesus asked him again, Simon, do you really love me? Peter answered said, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter's not even certain about his own heart anymore. Because at one time, he was so sure that his love for Jesus was like the pinnacle while the others were lacking. And Jesus was the one that told him otherwise. And he was right. This third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, 
Do you love me as much as they do? Now Jesus has modified his statement from this great love that Peter had originally proclaimed and brought it down to what Peter was saying the others had. And Jesus is saying, do you love me that much? And Peter was heartbroken because Peter knew less about himself than Jesus did. And that's what it is. See, I think I know so much about my own heart. Jesus actually knows me. So he finally came to the realization that Jesus knew everything, even the thoughts of the heart. Peter couldn't conceal it any longer, which is exactly where he needed to be. He needed to put everything on the table in order for Jesus to use him properly. You know, faith and love is demonstrated by obedience, not by boasting. Earlier, Jesus had told him, Satan had desired to sift him. But Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. You know, his courage may have been broken. His ego was obviously shattered. But his faith never failed. Peter did love Jesus, and Jesus knew that. He knew that Peter cared deeply for him. So he asked him to do something. Jesus had just fed and taken care of Peter, and now he wanted Peter to do the same. He said, Peter, now I need you to feed my sheep and I need you to take care of them. You know, and reading through this, I realized we're no better than Peter, are we? It's really easy for somebody to say, I really love Jesus. In fact, I love him so much that I love to sing about him. In fact, I love him so much more than them because I just love to read about him. Yet, do we live out the parts of the Bible that we already know? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Commandments like, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. But it's such a difficult thing to do. And how many of us can say that we actually put into practice like even like last week's message? I know I failed miserably. Which is proof that I don't love God as much as He loves me. But I am so happy that His love for me is not contingent upon my love for Him. Because while I'm lacking in the love department, Jesus loves with a perfect love. The kind of love where you give yourself completely to someone without expecting anything in return. The Bible says that God demonstrated His love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is what perfect love does. The kind of love that goes out to, your, to his friends when they've fallen away. The kind of love that brings them back to shore from their struggles on that sea of despair. 
The kind of love that warms and feeds the soul when it's hungry. The kind of love that forgives transgressions and a lack of love returned. I saw this video this past week. I don't know if anybody, anyone else saw it. It was about this lady that was running the marathon in Philadelphia, the uh, city of brotherly love. Before she was able to finish, her body was depleted of energy and her legs like turned to jello. You know, you can imagine thoughts of the finish line, they, they dwindled away. Two gentlemen stopped by to help her. They held her by the arms and pulled her along for a little while, but her legs couldn't even support her body anymore. She was simply going limp and she was collapsing to the ground. A third runner that was ahead, he had already started to run towards her and he was on his way back to help her. He grabbed her before she hit the ground. He then lifted her and he carried her in his arms and he continued to run towards the finish line. And you can see that she doesn't have the energy to hang on to him properly. And he's, he's running with her. And as he approaches the finish line, he put her back on her feet and he told her that she had to take the last few steps. So he put his arm around her to keep her up and he helped her take those last few remaining steps so that she could be credited with finishing the marathon. And that's what Jesus is doing. See, Jesus is carrying his disciples towards the finish line. And you know, you're going to go through some times when you feel like you're treading through the thickest mud. You're devoid of energy. Every step you take is like torture because you just can't bear the weight anymore. But when you get to those difficult times, you've got to remember, Jesus is going to be picking you up and carrying you towards that line. Later on, writing from his own experience, Peter wrote in his epistle, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. So as you go through trials and suffering, the Bible says, to remember to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's look at verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee, whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by the death he would, should glorify God. And when he spoke this, he said unto, his, unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If I will, tarry till he, till I, if, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that of thee? Follow thou me. So Jesus here, he reminds Peter to have a proper focus. You know, Peter, don't worry so much about what John is going to do for me. I need you to focus on what I asked you to do for me. And it's so easy to lose focus on the task that's at hand. You know, we get caught up in comparing what we do compared to what others are doing. But as Christians, we need to remain fixated on the finish line. And if we see somebody struggling, we need to come up beside them and help them along. Peter had now come to a more complete understanding. He understood that Jesus, in fact, did know everything. He was the one true God spoken of in Isaiah. 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So the same Peter that once lacked in understanding went on to write in his epistle that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, ye believing. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. And that salvation that the prophets inquired and searched for is none other than Jesus Christ. And for those that have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, they already know what's beyond the finish line. See, we know that Jesus is waiting for us in heaven. Heaven is a real place and there's everlasting joy. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given uh, given under heaven, sorry, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So ask yourself if you've already done that. You know, have you taken the time to ask Jesus to forgive you? Have you taken him up on his offer of eternal life? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of the second death. That's what people commonly refer to as hell. Hell is not a place where people go to party. It's where people are tormented for eternity. God created for the devil and those angels that rebelled against him. It was never created for people. But many people actually end up there because they love their sin more than they love God. And yet Jesus, he loved us sinners so much in spite of that. So much so that the sinless God took upon himself the form of a man. And he willingly went to the cross. He placed our sin upon himself and he took the punishment that we rightly deserve and he applied it to himself. And he shed his blood for us. And the Bible says that if we turn from our sin and if we confess him as Lord and Savior, he promises that that debt will be wiped away never be brought up again. It won't be counted against us. Not only are we made clean by his blood, but we are also credited with his righteousness. Mark Spence, he well said, quote, In the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd, but in the New Testament, the shepherd died for the sheep. End quote. You know, if you haven't already done so, Today, you have to take the opportunity and change that direction. The Bible says, Seek the Lord while he might be found. Call upon him while he's near. 
And you can do that right where you are. You don't have to go to a special place. You can do that right now, right where you are. And this is what you do. You think about your sins you've done. And as these sins are coming to your mind, stop making excuses for them. You have to take ownership of what you've done. You confess them to God and you apologize. You ask God to forgive you and then you ask Jesus to save you. And if you do that now, Jesus can save you now. It doesn't take a long period of time. It's that fast. You just have to do it. And if for some reason, somebody comes to you with a concern about where they stand with God because of something they heard, don't dismiss it. Don't, don't tell them that everything is fine. Because, you know what? In times past, I've seen people under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And a religious person will tell them, you know what, don't worry about it. And then they twist what the Bible teaches. And now they've made them twice the child of hell. So if a person does that, the Bible says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You also need to repent and surrender. Give your life to Jesus Christ. So let's end this on a more happy note, though. Because the Bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. I mean, the angels, they celebrated everyone's salvation when they got saved. Have they celebrated your salvation yet? If you're not sure that heaven's going to be your home when you leave this world, come and talk to me after the service. I'd love to take a Bible and just show you from God's Word that you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. We thank you for sending your Son who died and rose again and who lives today and is making intercession for us. Bless us, we pray, as we continue to learn about you and your love, and as we grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.